Acts chapter 17, starting with verse number 22, the Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive in that all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though He have need of anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this day. Lord, we thank You for all Your many blessings, dear God, the, uh, the big blessings, the blessing of salvation, the blessing of, uh, of Your eternal grace and mercy, and, and how You watch over us and take care of us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. But Father, we thank You for the small things also. Lord, how You've provided for us a meal to eat this morning and a place to come and worship. Uh, uh, Father, we thank You, Lord Jesus, for those who fight for our freedom. And, and Lord, we thank You for the privilege of being allowed to be just a, a, even a small part of Your kingdom, dear God. How good You are to us. Amen. Father, I pray that in everything You would be honored today, dear God. I thank You for the singing. I thank You for the Sunday school that's already taken place. Father, I pray now that the preaching of Your Word would bring glory to Your name. Touch that soul that's lost. Show them the need of salvation and edify your church. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're dealing here, uh, the subject of mishandling of holy things. We come here to a very familiar section of Scripture in the book of Acts there. It is the, the sermon that Paul gives on what is called Mars Hill. All right? uh, this is, uh, Paul is now on his second of uh, three missionary journeys. He has gone through, Paul and Silas have gone through. They have recently gone to the city of Thessalonica uh, where they established those churches there. That's where we get the, the first and second epistle of the Thessalonians there. He's gone to Berea, uh, where they've established a work, a great work that's there. The Bereans uh, willingly receive the Word of God. Now through persecution, Paul is separated. He leaves uh, earlier than anyone else. He leaves and separates from Silas, and he goes down to the city of Athens, and he comes in, and what he witnesses is almost overwhelming to Paul there. What he sees there is something that, that I can imagine uh, taking his breath away. Now, no doubt Paul had seen many things being in, in all different places of Asia Minor. He had seen all types of, of paganism and heathenism being called to the Gentiles, but as he comes to Athens, the emphasis here in Scripture is put on the fact uh, that there's literally statue after statue of the gods that they worship. He comes in uh, to what is called the... Um, the Parthenon there and the Temple of Mars there, and he comes in and he sees all of these statutes under these uh, these Greek gods that they worship. They have what is called polytheism, the worship of uh, multiple gods. There are many gods, and, and uh, pantheism there, uh, which is where you attribute everything, uh, you attribute God to everything in the universe. They had practiced that idolatry wide open, and he saw uh, again the statue of Zeus and, and Mars and Jupiter and Apollo, and and he goes on and sees Hermes and, and uh, Themis and all these these Greek gods and goddesses there, and, and no doubt. He is astounded at what he is seeing here. He's, he's blown away there. But then he comes and he sees an inscription that sums up the spiritual condition of these Athenians there. He sees an inscription that says, To the unknown God. In all their religion, in all the polytheism, in all the, the idolatry that they had, they come to a place where they are worshiping a God that they don't even know. 
You say, preacher, that sounds very foolish. Friends, that thing is still practiced today. In the Muslim faith, Allah is not a spirit. He is not a being. He is something that is unknown even to the very people that follow after Him. They can never know because they never communicate with Him. They can never know whether they are in right standings with Him or not. Uh, Reading uh, not long ago, uh, one Hollywood celebrity said this. Speaking of, of uh, so we're, so that we're on the understanding that it's not just third world countries or uh, or the Muslim faith that is is here in America that there are many that worship those that they don't know. Uh, one Hollywood celebrity said this very thing: Though I don't believe in God, I am a very spiritual person. Friends, the the, the lack of understanding, the ignorance of Scripture is something that is, is widespread, it is world-renowned, it does not just exist in America, it does not just exist in the, uh, the, the deepest, darkest jungles of a third world country, an undeveloped country, it doesn't just exist uh, in places of communism, in places where uh, you see a uh, um, religion that is outlawed there, this is something that is widespread all across the world, there, there are those who are worshipping a God that they don't know anything about, and the reason for that is because God in His design of you and I has created created us with a heart of worship. It's amazing to think that you can go to the most developed nation in the world and you will see a form of you'll see multiple forms of worship. You can go to the deepest, darkest, most undeveloped place on the planet into the jungles where they have never seen electricity, where they've never known running water, where they still live in huts and have grass skirts. You can go and see all this, and yet they still have some form of religion. Why? Because deep in the heart of man is a desire of worship. And we see that uh, testified no better place than right here where that inscription, those few little words says, to the unknown God. They were so worried in in all of their paganism, they were so worthy in all their heathenism that they would miss out and not appease uh, one particular God there that they picked and they said, listen, we're just going to put an inscription to the unknown God. Friends, I want to look at three things this morning that Paul points out in this Scripture on dealing with the mishandling of holy things there. I want you to notice, first of all, in verses 22 and 23, they were void of discernment there. There was a void of discernment there. Friends, there was an appalling ignorance. Look at verse 22 there, and the first part of verse 23. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Several things I want to point out. First of all, the word superstitious. The word superstitious in the Greek there does not mean the way we use it. It's not black cats and, and, and Friday the 13th in the way we think of it. What the word superstitious means here is it, it simply means religious. They were too religious. He said, I perceive that ye are too religious. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. We're not talking about uh, that they were too devoted in their worship. Right? There is a difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is always works-based. The easiest way to tell a cult is if the salvation, if the form of salvation is works-based. Can you earn your way to heaven? 
If you can in any way, shape, or form earn the righteousness of God, then it is a cult by definition. It is religion there. Uh, Christianity is a relationship. He said you are too religious. So they had Mars. They had Jupiter. They had the God of thunder and the God of war and the God of, of uh, agriculture and the God of, uh, of trade and commerce. So they had a God for everything. So much so that as I stated before, they were worried they'd miss one. So they said it to the unknown God. What a sad thing that is. Friends, you've heard me say this before. If there is something your God is unable to do, then you need a different God. All right. Jehovah, our God, is the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, and there is nothing too hard for Him. Now we know He cannot sin. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if there's any problem you have that your God can't handle, or that you have to pray to multiple gods for, then friends, you need a different God. Even in Roman Catholicism, now the Roman Catholic Church, they have a God that they pray to for the patron of... Uh, the, as a matter of fact, they pray to saints. They come to the, uh, the patron of, of uh, dead saints. Or they pray to intercede on behalf of their dead loved ones. They pray uh, for sickness and for strength. They, they have a God for everything or a saint for everything. Friends, what a sad testimony that is. They are in all forms too religious there. He said, I perceive you're too superstitious. Not only that, but we see in verse number 23 the word devotions. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotions. This is the Greek word there, uh, sabasma there, and it is used only here and in 2 Thessalonians 2 in verse number 4 where it is used to demand, the Antichrist demands his worship. Right? It's talking about there your devotions, your worships there, it, it, it being a false worship, a demanded worship there, the word unknown is the Greek word an agnosis there, where we get our word agnostic from. Agnostics there. An agnostic is someone who believes that, that, that spiritual things, that God, uh, they're either unknown or they can't be known there, uh, that, that they can't know the nature of God. That there's, it's impossible to know the person of God. Friends, that Bible, very clearly, from Genesis 1.1, all the way through Revelation 22, 21, tells us all about the different natures and the different aspects and the different attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand, we read that that Bible teaches that God is a God of love. That's an attribute. That's something that makes up the characteristic of who God is. He's a God of holiness there. That's an attribute there. He's righteous. He's perfect. He's just. He's long-suffering. That means patient. Uh, That's an attribute there that describes the person of God. Friends, we can know God intimately today. We don't have to know. Matter of fact, salvation is knowing God intimately today. There are many who sit in church... And know about God. They know about Jesus. They know about the Bible. But there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. That's the difference between religion and salvation. Religion works for it. Salvation is grace given. Knowing God personally. That's what Paul is talking about here. He said, to the unknown God. Friends, there's not a one of us that are sitting here today that should look and say He is unknown to me. There's not a one of us that should say, Preacher, I can't understand the Bible. I don't understand Scripture. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're going to be scholars. I am in no way, shape, or form a Bible scholar. But we can know this Scripture through the help of the Holy Spirit. We can know our Savior and should know our Savior. I give you an example. The Bible says that those that are saved are the sons and daughters of God. Every one of us in here 
Right? When it comes to our fathers, right? and I'm talking about our, our earthly fathers, we know them in such a way that we know when they're upset, we know when they're happy, we know what they like, we know what they dislike, we know them intimately, they're our Father. Right? How much more so should we be able to know our Heavenly Father? You think about there, uh, the, the Bible talks about Jesus Christ being the bridegroom there, and us as the church being the bride. Friends, any spouse, any, any married person that does not know their spouse, is, uh, there's something wrong with that relationship. Amen. That spouse or your spouse, your husband or your wife, you should know things about that person that no one else knows. You should be able, if you have been married any length of time, you should be able to pick up just by the sound of a voice whether something is wrong or not. You should be able to pick up by the demeanor of that person, whether they're upset or whether they're happy. I can pick up the phone and I can call Angie and I can tell by her voice if something is bothering her. Why? Because that's my spouse. And I know her. And she knows me. She can look at me and see when something is weighing heavy on me. She knows me better than anyone else. I know her better than anyone else. Friends, God has given us that ability today that we can know Him. That, that, that we can know Him deeply and intimately. That we can speak with Him. That we can know what pleases God. And we can know when He's upset. We can know by the, uh, the moving and the tenderness of the Holy Spirit, friends. Uh, God's given us that ability to have that relationship with Him. There's not a one of us that should say He's unknown to me. Matter of fact, if you study this Bible and you can't understand the Word of God, I would check and make sure that you are truly saved. Again, that, that please don't misunderstand me. It does not mean you won't have questions over the Word of God. But it does mean that that, that Word will speak to us different than it does to a lot. That's not just any other book. To somebody that's saved... To somebody that has truly been born again and accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, this book is different than any other. Amen. When we pray and we talk to God, it's different than any other. We might not understand all of it. We don't understand all of it. But we can know Him. And He knows us. There should be a level of intimacy there. Friends, there was an appalling ignorance. He said to the unknown God, they said, listen, we can't even know this God. I don't want to serve a God I can't know. Do you realize today, now friends, I am not justifying it. Please don't misunderstand me. But do you realize today why there are so many suicide bombers with the Muslim faith? If you study their religion, there is literally no way for them to know whether or not they are in right standings with their God other than to die in the name of their God. They are so desperate for a guaranteed heaven. They are so desperate to know that they are right with God and that they're going to heaven. They're, they're so desperate that they are willing not only to take their own lives, but the lives of someone else. Friends, that's demonic. That's sad and it's very... Uh, I mean, that, that, that's a depravity that's very core. We can know our God. The Bible tells us very clearly whereby we know we're saved. Friends, if you're saved today, you should not have a hope so religion. You should know that if today was your last day and you took your last breath here, you would take your first in glory. You should have that peace day. Friends, if you don't, I beg you when we give the invitation, get that thing right with God. Because He's offering that to you. He does not want you to walk around with uncertainty. 
There's no power in uncertainty. There's no peace in uncertainty. There's no joy in wondering, am I saved or not? There is peace when we know that God is in our heart there, that He is our Savior, that He's our Redeemer, that He's our Comforter, that He is our King of kings and Lord of lords. That's where peace comes from today. Friends, there was an appalling ignorance. There was also an appealing... Notice there, there was an appeal to the intellect. Look at verse number, the second part of verse 23. He said, Him declare I unto you. Paul was saying, This is the one I want to introduce you to. Paul came there and with boldness looked at the face of these Athenians there, looked at all their statutes, friends, their entire city was wholly given to idolatry. This entire city was so wrapped up in paganism and heathen worship there, and yet Paul boldly stands and says, listen, not a single one of these gods there, not Mars, not Jupiter, not Apollo, not Themis, not Hermes, he said, not a one of them will do you a bit of good. Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need today. We need people that aren't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need people that will stand boldly and declare that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Friends, now, Acts 4 and verse number 12 says, there's salva- Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. Friends, let me tell you something. Apollos didn't die for you. Hermes didn't die for you. Confucius didn't die for you. Allah didn't die for you. The Lord Jesus Christ not only died for you, He rose again victorious for you. Paul declared Him. He said, Him I declare unto you. Friends, don't ever be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Oh, friends, not only was there the void of discernment, but I want you to notice Paul takes it a step further. And He declares to them the vastness of deity there. He declares to them just who God is. In verses 24 through 26, in verse number 24 there, He tells them that He is an infinite God. Look at the first part of that verse. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth. I love that Paul declares Jehovah not only the Creator, but the Sustainer of this world. And because... He is not only the Creator, but the Sustainer. That means He not only spoke the world into existence, He not only hung the stars and the sun and the sky, He not only took care of us and created Adam out of the dust and breathed life into His nostrils, not only did He create us, but He cares for us, sustains us, and watches over us every day. The sun rises in the east every morning because God says so. The sun sets in the west every evening because God says so. The sun and the moon and the stars rotate just the way God says so. Life is better because God says to keep on going there. He is the sustainer of all things and because of that, we don't need any other. He's in charge. He is introducing them. He said, you don't need any of these false idols. What you need is Jehovah. Not only is He infinite, but He's also independent. Look at verse second part of 24 and 25 there. It says, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything. Seeth he giveth to all life and breath and all things. I love it. Dwelleth not in temples made with hands. It's interesting he said that for two reasons. One, Stephen said it in Acts 7 and verse number 48. Right before he was stoned, Stephen declares to the Jews, 
that God is above the temples, that He's not needed. There's, there's nothing man can build that, that uh, can sustain God or can hold God there. Uh, Paul was present at Stephen's stoning there. The, the Bible tells us that Paul gave consent, means he, he uh, agreed with it, he cheered it on. As he stood there, Paul was present as he was stoned there. Uh, this was before his conversion when he was known as Saul. Now he declares, Paul is standing here declaring that there is nothing that can hold God, that he's independent. He has no need of anything man can offer. And he says he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. It's, It's interesting he said that because we're looking here at the Parthenon and the Temple of Mars. Were what was known at that time as one of the wonders of the world. There, this was uh, they brought in uh, the the greatest Greek sculptor at that time. That they brought in a man uh, by the name of Phidias. Uh, Phidias, if I pronounce that correctly, this man was world renowned for his ability. They had literally uh, invented different ways of architecture in order to build this Parthenon and this temple because the columns there, made up, I believe it was 50 plus columns, curved in there, and the way the structure was uh, built there, the way it held the weight there, and the way it sustained it, had never been done before. This was something to look at. I mean, when they looked at this thing, they saw this, and it was astounding, no doubt. I mean, if you've ever been in the big city... And you see some of the architecture. I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. Some of it's awesome. This would have been one of those pieces. Now, the fact that Stephen declared it dates all the way back to the Old Testament when you're talking about Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple, in today's equivalent, was worth over $100 billion. We're talking about gold and silver and precious stones and the things... I mean, everything was overlaid with pure gold and it was fine work there. All of it was done. It was beautiful. And Paul said, listen, that cannot contain our God. He's independent of all those things. He is independent of sacrifices. There's no sacrifice that God needs. There's nothing that God requires of us for Him to still be God. No matter what we do, He's still going to be God today, tomorrow, and forever. He's independent of sacrifices. He's independent of sanctuaries. There's nothing that can contain Him. The fact that He dwells in our hearts as Christians ought to be something that literally blows our mind. The fact that not the greatest building, if you've ever seen St. Paul's Cathedral, St. Peter's Cathedral, if you've ever seen some of the beautiful church structures that have been built, and they can't contain God. Solomon's temple couldn't contain God. Herod's temple couldn't contain God. The tabernacle couldn't contain God. Uh, Mars Hill could not contain God. The fact that none of those things, and yet here he comes and he dwells in the heart of insignificant, imperfect you and me is absolutely astounding today. He is independent of sacrifices and sanctuaries. He is independent of services. There is nothing God needs from us to still be God. The fact that He allows us to be a part of His kingdom and His worship is something that ought to be a privilege to you and I. I get so irritated when you see people that take the mindset of, oh, I have to do this. No, friends, you get to do this. Oh, we have to go to church. No, friends, it's a privilege to go to church. And I guarantee if you went to some of these third world countries, they would count it a joy. They would count it a privilege to be sitting where you're at right now. God help us to remember that. Not only do we see there that He is an infinite God, 
He is an independent God, but He is also an invested God. Look at verse 26. And He hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and at the term and the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation there. Uh, what God is talking about here, what Paul is talking about. When he talks about there that he hath made of all nations, the Greeks there uh, were, were very arrogant, prideful people. They considered themselves to be socially and culturally above everyone else. Matter of fact, they referred to all others as barbarians. Right? When you look at the Jews, they considered themselves very prideful people. They considered themselves to be above everyone else religiously. Everyone else was a Gentile. Matter of fact, they uh, referred to the Samaritans as Gentile dogs. They were not allowed in their temple. There were certain places in the Jewish temple that the Gentiles could not cross a certain line. If they went past that, by Jewish law, they could be killed. Because they were unworthy people there. What God is declaring here is that all men are equal there. And He was telling them there that all men fall on the same grounds. And He was talking about the investment that He had given in them was equal across the board. No matter where you come from, no matter your background, no matter your race, your nationality, no matter your education, no matter your uh, upbringing, we are all on level playing ground. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are unrighteous. All of us need a Redeemer. And God will save any one of us who will call on Him. That's what Paul was trying to get them to realize. Not only... Was there a void of discernment and a vastness of deity? But last of all this morning, there was a victory through detection. Look at verse 27. We see an invitation to come to God in the first part of verse 27. That they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. They should seek the Lord. The word feel after, uh, the Greek word it means to grope after. What it's talking about here, testifying to the fact that even God... Even if you don't have the Scripture, you can know God by nature. Anyone with common sense can look out and can see the complexity of this world and see that it did not happen by accident. We can see the diversity, the the perfection of how it is sustained, the the, the very fact that the plants around us breathe out what we breathe in, that there is a constant reproduction of those things, the very fact of, of the sun again rising in the east and setting in the west every day, the, the uh, four seasons, we can make calendars because we know that God has ordained time and that it is going to sustain until God comes back. We've got summer, we've got uh, fall, we've got winter, we've got spring. All of that is, is always in order. Yeah. That testifies to the glory of God. The stars being hung up in the sky there. Uh, The sun being just the perfect distance so that it doesn't burn us up or that we don't freeze there. The atmosphere being made up of what we need to breathe and sustain life. If that changes just a fraction of a percent, you and I die today. All of that testifies to the glory of God. He gives them an invitation to come and know Him. Now friends, only by Scripture. Scripture allows us to know God by name. Creation allows us to know God by nature. We can look around on creation and see. That means that there is no excuse to someone not knowing God or not not believing in a God there. The fact that He has placed a desire in our heart to worship, whether we be again from uh, the, the most developed country or the deepest, darkest jungle, God has given us a desire to worship there. That testifies to the fact that He's given us an ability and invitation to come and know Him. Now only by Scripture can we know Him intimately. Again, think about the difference. Right? I know the president. 
I know who He is, but I can't walk into His cabinet and sit down and know Him intimately. If I try to walk in and sit down with Him, security is going to stop me long before I get to Him and say, I'm sorry, sir, you're not clear. I I don't have that relationship with Him. That's the difference between knowing Him by nature and knowing Him by name. You can know about Him. But if you're not saved today, you can only go so far and, and they say, I'm sorry, you can't cross this line. That, that sin has set a boundary between you and God and you can't go any further. But when we know Him by name, we know Him through Scripture, He says, come on in. Sit down with me. Talk with me. There's an invitation to come. Not only an invitation to come, but last of all this morning, there's an indictment that we see here uh, for the closeness of God. Look at the second part of verse 27. And that they might find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. An indictment is a formal charge or an accusation of a serious crime because of the revelation that God has given us. He's revealed Himself by His Word. There's a requirement that God has given us. That's why, if we stand before God today and we are unsaved, because He has revealed Himself to us, if we stand before God without the blood of Christ, then we have no hope. That's why any person that tries to approach God on their own works will die in their sin and go to hell. Even those that have done it religiously, remember where Jesus gave the parable and said, Our Lord, did not we prophesy in Thy name and cast out demons in Thy name? And Jesus' response to them was, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's religion. Lord, didn't I, I, I went to church. Lord, I, I, my name was on the membership roll. Lord, I was baptized. Lord, I, I gave in the offering every week. But do you know Him? That's the question. There are many today who if they had to be honest, the inscription to the unknown God would be written above the, their lives. Christ is giving you an invitation to know Him today. An opportunity. Now whether you take it or not is up to you. He will not force Himself on you. But He extends grace to whosoever will. My question is, will you be one of those whosoever's today? Let's all stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed.